So anyways, this morning we're going to be continuing our series talking about um, looking at Micah. And, and so Nick kicked us off last week talking about what does God require of us? What is good? And this week we're going to look at doing justice. And justice is all something that we seem to want and demand. When we start talking about things, we say, this is an injustice. How dare they? It's something we long for. It's something that we all seem to want and see in our society. And, and this can be seen in one way with how popular true crime is. How many people like true crime, podcasts, TV shows? Yeah, it's very, very popular. For some people, they like it maybe for things that can be questionable, obsessed with serial killers, and so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but I think for, for myself, I, I also maybe enjoy some of that. But it's also to, to want to know and see justice served, to see people who are wrongly convicted um, have justice, to be brought and acquitted, to, to have freedom. Or maybe it's just to see uh, broken systems be made right. And so we, we want this. It's something that burns when, within us. But as Nick talked about last week, our hearts are not aligned right. And so we don't always, when we start talking to one another, we quickly find that we, maybe justice to us looks a little bit different, or what we think would be just is a little different. And so there's something off with our hearts. There's something that needs to be realigned as we think about what justice is. And so this morning, I want to look at this passage and take a look at sort of biblical justice and what that looks like. And I believe that biblical justice is rooted first and foremost in the reality that all people are made in the image of God, which means that all people are worthy of dignity and respect and worthy to be treated and treated well and treated in a just way. Uh, so this morning we're going to see that within Micah 6, 8, we see a call that rings true throughout all scripture, that following God means that we see peoples made in the image of God, and that when we see peoples being made in the image of God, um, not being treated with dignity and at the edge of society, and we'll talk about who some of those groups of people are a bit later, we are obligated to stand up for them and to do justice by restoring them to society. First and foremost, we see on a spiritual level that we all are guilty and need restoration to God through Jesus' death on the cross, and also on a practical way, that there is a practical way that we can step out and do justice to help these vulnerable people. We need to ask God to, to help us to look and see where those vulnerable are around us in our midst, in our city, globally. We need God's help to know those, who those people are and seek to do justice in our city, recognizing that we are ultimately joining with God in what he is doing, that he is the one who goes before us. He's the one who is in the business of restoring people as we participate with them and the renewal of all things. And so Nick did a great job. I'm not going to go too much in the context of the passage, but Nick did a great job of kicking us off last week and, and setting up Micah as a whole and what it's about. But just a, a quick recap, Micah, within the book, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Micah is calling out these groups of people who are acting unjustly in Israel. They've turned away from the covenant. They've turned away from following God and the things that God has called them to do. Um, they're practicing, they're unfaithful to the covenant. They're practicing um, terrible things, human sacrifice, child sacrifices, um, treating people unjustly, uh, having just, just forcing people who are on the outskirts of society uh, who are vulnerable, taking advantage of them. 
And it's not simply in ritual practice that they're being unfaithful, but like I mentioned, they're not practicing proper love. So for the Israelites within the covenant that God entered into them, it wasn't simply about um, you need to, to perform sacrifices in this way and come before me this way and do this and that. It's something much more greater. It extends to the way that God wants them to treat other people because ultimately they're, they're reflecting God to the nations. And so he cares a lot more with what's going on with their heart than necessarily are they performing those sacrifices right. And within Micah, um, we see that they're not doing that well and God is calling them out. So we're going to be reading from Micah 6, and as Nick mentioned last week, this is God speaking to the people in his indictment of Israel, saying, um, coming before them with a case of where they have gone wrong. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Micah. Um, I'm going to be reading Micah 6, 1 to 8. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen or in your apps. But I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and, endure, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery and sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gigal? that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before you with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has taught you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before, with your God? And so we see in this, as Nick said last week, he talked about what is good and what the Lord requires of us. And this morning, we're going to talk about that next part, but to do justice. And so um, first and foremost, if we're going to look at what doing justice is, we need to see like what is the biblical picture for doing justice. And so there, there's a whole lot that can be said on this. You could dive way into this, but I want to give us kind of a, a 30,000 foot view of sort of biblical justice, just a few touch points that I encourage you to dive into it more if this is something that interests you. But I want to, to show that this has a rich heritage in Scripture. And I believe the first place that we see our, our stop, our first stop in our, our, uh, our trip is Genesis 1. At the very beginning, I know I talk about Genesis 1 like every single time I'm up here, but it's a very important part of the Bible, and I, it's very important. And so I believe that talking about biblical justice starts in the beginning, where God makes man and women, women in his image. He makes all humanity within his image. And this is very significant. So in other cultures at that time, you'd often see this whole language of being made in the image of God was reserved for maybe um, a king, for one or two people within a society. And so the, you have this like king who's made in the image of God, and everyone else is just kind of like lower caste, not as important. But within the Bible, we see that flipped on its head and God says, no, you are all my image. You are all significant. I care about each and every one of you, regardless of your social standing, regardless of your um, economic value, regardless of your ethnicity, your gender, you are equally made in the image of God and equally important to me. So I believe as we talk about justice, this is an important foundation that we lay, that all humanity is important to God and made in his image and therefore they have worth. 
The second sort of stop on this is Genesis 9. And so this is after God, um, it goes through this, this sort of decreation through the flood and then recreation and, and this commissioning of Noah. And within Genesis 9, we see first and foremost that um, God has given all animals to Noah to eat, which means sort of God's ideal for creation before this is veganism, which is probably very ab- ab- like abhorrent to a lot of people to think that the ideal is veganism, but we're not going to go there. Um, <laughs> We can talk about that later if you want. But the important thing is that in that, God says, you have the animals for food, but you shall not eat another human, for they are made in my image. And for the person who uh, kills another human, of his own blood will I require it, because they're in my image and they're important to me. So we start to see this, this sense of God saying, man is important to me, made in my image. And also there's a sense of um, wrong acts committed against them. There's a sense of there, there needs to be some sort of a payment. There's a sense of, of something wrong, that something needs to happen. Um, so we see that God deeply cares about people. And this continues on, and there's many more threads of this justice throughout Genesis. But the next point will stop, actually, um, within the, the verse we read, the passage, God mentions it in Micah 6, 4. He says, God says, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And so this next stop for us is the Exodus. And this is a a very important event in terms of understanding how we are to be redeemed, how God rescues his people. And the Israelites at this time were an oppressed people. They lived in the land, land of Egypt as immigrants. They were slaves. They were poor. Um, they were orphaned, and they were, they were without land and without standing in that society. And God redeemed them and brought them out of Israel and called them to be his own people and entered into relationship with him. And so from there we see this is very important to God, that he is a God who redeems people, a God who restores people. Um, and, and as you read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you start to see that God talks a lot about um, certain groups of people uh, that are important to take care of. And these people are, we start to see a lot of verses about the poor and the immigrant and the widow and orphan. So these are a group of people with that they don't have land rights within society. And at that time, if you didn't have land rights, you had no social standing. You were easy, you're someone that could be easily taken advantage of by other people within the land, that you were at risk and danger from outsiders and insiders. And God reminds the Israelites that as you were once those people within Egypt, I want you to treat others well. That as you reflect me, that means taking care of those people. But as we talked about in our series on Exodus last year, it's much easier to take the Israelites out of Egypt than it is to take Egypt out of the Israelites. And this is something they struggle with, is how they treat others, how they care for them. But it's very important for God. God desires for the Israelites to reflect his nature and character. And in taking care of these people, the vulnerable, the poor widow, orphan, and immigrant, uh, they're, they're declaring that they have dignity and respect and worth because they are, they are equally made in the image of God. And so as we then begin to pull these things together, we see actually this whole phrase of do justice has a slightly similar definition within English. Our English definition is to do justice means to be accurate or fair by representing someone or something as that person or thing truly is. And so if we look at what we've talked about so far, we see that if, if humanity and all humans are made in the image of God, uh, to be accurate or fair by representing them as made in the image of God, um, it means that like, we need to do well by them. It means treating them in that way as we look at uh, when they're not treated well, when they're made victims or they're vulnerable within society. Part of doing justice is treating them as they are and giving them that dignity of image bearers of God. 
And so then as we begin to pull these, like the threads throughout the Bible, and there's many more, and I do encourage you to just go ahead, like do a search online for where justice, like how it appears within the Bible. Um, but we see these sort of two general categories or buckets for justice. The first one is retributive justice. And that's the sort of justice of, um, we see that you have a crime or true crime fits into this where there's a crime and there's a punishment. There's a sense of you've committed this and something is required of you. So we see that within, like I said, Genesis 9 or just throughout scripture, this sense of, especially in the Old Testament, we see a lot of mentioning of, hey, um, this has been, when this wrong is committed, then there needs to be some sort of a, a punishment, some sort of an action that's taken to help that person who's a victim. And so we want this in our own world, but often our lens for what is right and what is wrong is oft. Oftentimes we think, I don't know if the, if the punishment fits the crime. That's the phrase we'll say. And, and so, we, so within our own world, we want this, but it can be hard to sort of figure out where does that, how does that work out? What is the right way? Um, but my encouragement in this is that God is just and he is good and he is kind. So he is a God who does, there is a sense of when there is a wrong, there is a, um, a punishment. There's a sense of consequences for an action. But he is good and he is fair and he is right in, those, in taking those actions. And so I think it's, it's hard looking at retributive justice and sort of working our head around that. But we can take, um, take a, a sense of peace and rest knowing that God is good and kind as he acts out into retributive justice. God's love for retributive justice isn't fueled by a desire to see people punished. God isn't in the business of wanting to see people um, suffer for, for just like, he's, he doesn't take pleasure in making them suffer. Um, but his desire is a deep love for seeing those who are victims of injustice elevated. When God does retributive justice, it is fair and good, and his joy comes from seeing people who are treated wrongly um, not be treated wrongly, to be treated as they are as image bearers. And the second one that we're going to spend the rest of our morning talking about is restorative justice. The Hebrew word is mishpat, which is just fun to say. I encourage you to try to, you know, word of the week, try to fit it into an email or a text message. I don't, probably could, mishpat. Uh, it's just, it's a great word. And so that's more of this restorative justice that we see a lot of within the Bible. And this phrase, do justice, is that word mishpat. And so that's what we're going to talk about as we talk more about um, the rest of this morning. So this restorative justice means identifying victims of, of injustice. And, it, and first it begins with seeing them as made in the image of God, seeing them as image bearers, um, seeking to have them restored to a place of equality within society. And this restoration can occur in a variety of ways, but at its core it's concerned with being treated with dignity and respect regardless of social class, regardless of ethnicity or nationality. It, it's, it's one of those things that stretches in terms of seeing them as made in the image of God and seeing where there's, there's cycles and things in society that are treating them unfairly. And it's a part of seeing how can we interact with those systems so that people are not treated in such a way. How can we help elevate them so that they have a quality within society? So our first, like I mentioned earlier, our first restorative need in all of this is to God. That ultimately every human is in a sense like we are guilty and that we are both the guilty um, and also the vulnerable without God. That we are guilty of sin and that we are vulnerable and need to be restored to God. But he has provided that through Jesus. We have a way to be restored to God. And that's something that as we do justice, we should seek to be holistic and finding ways to how can we help 
like how can we help them in that sense of their spiritual need and their own spiritual poverty? But that's not a cop-out. We still need to be people who are a part of doing physical justice. And this is something that's important to Jesus, not just talking about and dealing with the, the, physical, the spiritual reality, but also there's a more holistic, there's a, there's a physical reality to their need. Um, yeah, and that should be important to us. So then the question is, as we talk about this, is why should we do justice? Why should I even care about this? And it, I think it's because it's something that is a part of God's heart and his nature. It's something that he does. And as we are made in his image and as we seek to follow Jesus, we should be a people who care about the things he cares about and do the things that he cares about. And so if doing justice is a part of who he is, I believe that should be a part of who we are. And so I wanted to read, these verses won't be up on the screen, but read some verses that begin to talk about some of God's love for justice and for people who are victims and vulnerable in society. Do not take advantage of the widow of the fatherless. Exodus 22:22. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you, and you are the helper, helper of the fatherless. Psalm 10:14. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Psalm 68:5. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Psalm 146.9. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1.27. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Proverbs 21.15. And so the list goes on and on, and you can look throughout Scripture how this is something that's important. But my point in reading that is just to show us that justice and doing justice is very important to who God is. And because it is important to us, and it is something that Jesus models in his own ministry, he is a man who does justice, it's important for us to pay attention to and to ask, ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do justice as well. But why don't we do justice? I think uh, this is a message for me that's very much in process. Um, it's something that I'm not out there doing all the justice I can. I am someone that has to really check my heart as, I'm, as I see maybe someone who's homeless or who's different than me to, to check my heart and the way I'm thinking about that person, how there might be prejudices I have in the ways that I think about them and the way that I interact with them. And so it's something that as I share these things with you, as we talk about why we don't, uh, my challenge to you um, is to, to, to ask yourself, why am I hesitant towards identifying with victims and standing up for the vulnerable? And to be open with that. If it's something that's hard for you, like it's hard for me, it's just my encouragement is to be open to God's work. But I think we, we don't do some of this stuff because um, it feels too overwhelming. There's so much to do. We look at the world around us and there's so much brokenness. There's so many things that are wrong and we don't know where to start. And it can be, it's something that we just kind of freeze up. Like, how do I do all this stuff? I can't do it all. I can't fix everything. Yeah. Um, and, or maybe we think nothing I do will ever change. And that's how maybe I feel sometimes. It's like, well, it doesn't, I can't really change these systems. I know ultimately I don't feel like I can be the one to, to change it or make it better, so why should I even do anything? And that can be something like you really have to work through it and, and really settle, but I think the reality is for that is it is God who restores. It is God who redeems, and through the empowerment of the Spirit, we get to partner with him in it. And ultimately, he will be the one to bring about that change, and he is the one who can bring um, change to those systems. But there's this there's this tension and this unique sort of thing we see in the Bible where um, God is the one who does things, but he is using humans as a part of bringing that restoration. 
And it's the same within our own sort of our whole life in terms of sanctification. As we're, we're seeking to follow the Holy Spirit and we're seeking to follow Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who changes us. But we're submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit. We're partnering with him in this, but he is the one who brings that change. So it's that both, um, ultimately, he is the one that does the change, but we're submitting ourselves to that and turning in and pressing into what Jesus might have for us. And so it's both active and passive. Um, so then the question is, how do we do justice? As we've talked about within the Bible, we see this retributive justice. We see restorative justice. We've seen that it's something we should be doing that can be hard for us, um, but then how do we do it? And again, my encouragement in all of this is if you're sitting there and you're starting to feel um, condemnation or a sense of like, I can't do this all, my encouragement to you is to stop and to rest and invite the Spirit to help you in that. My goal is not to bring condemnation. My goal is not to bring a sense of like, well, I can't do all of this. Like, I better just go. I got to go help those people. I've got to go and help the homeless. Um, My goal is to help us see that this is important to Jesus and that Jesus wants to be a people who are about doing justice, but ultimately he's the one who will help us, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. So um, if you're feeling that sense of like, starting to feel like frustrated or anxious talking about it, my encouragement is to stop and to, and to sit open-handedly and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to be someone that wants to do justice because he's the one who changes our heart. Yeah. So, then, so then going back to, into this, how do we do justice? This morning we're going to talk about more of local justice versus global. Um, I think there's not necessarily one that's better than the other, but for the sake of focusing in and with the time we have, I want to focus on more local within Fullerton. Um, but there's all these things that we'll talk about you could apply to a global level in the way of how you could help more of the, the greater village or our neighbors in other states, other countries around the world, but we're going to focus in on local and so I've already mentioned these four groups of people, but I just, I love this phrase, the quartet of the vulnerable. It's a wonderful phrase. I didn't come up with it, by the way, but I like it. And so I just wanted to find a way to say it as we talk about these people. So these four groups of people, these quartet of the vulnerable, these are people, like I said, who are without, within the Old Testament, without land rights. And so they're on the outskirts of society and at risk for being taken advantage of. These are the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. And so as we talk about this, I think for looking at like ways we can help, I want to maybe look at like how can we help out these four groups. Um, and within, as we talk about these things, people have different callings and leanings and desires towards different parts of the quartet. And they can be people that can help rally and call us. There might be someone where, hey, you're really passionate about helping people who are immigrants within the, within. Fullerton within this area, and that's a deep desire of yours, you can be someone that can help rally people to partner with you. You can help advocate for those people. Or maybe you're someone who has a heart for the orphan. You can do the same. Or with the poor or the, orf- or poor or the widow, um, people have different desires and leanings. We don't have to necessarily be a part. Like if your desire is more towards one part of, this, of these four or just towards another vulnerable pr- like group of people, that's something that God has given you and he can grow and you can help, you can call us to um, partner with you in that. If there's something you feel drawn to, so if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, yeah, I have a heart for the, for the immigrant. I really care about this. Um, we invite, I invite you to like 
pull people to join you in with this, to let us know as an eldership team, hey, this is something I'm really passionate about. I have a heart for this. We would love to know so we could pray through and see how can we partner with you? How can we help support you, encourage you, and help see that happen? So in a lot of this, we as a leadership team, we, we, we also don't know where every need is. We don't necessarily have all, like, you know, have our, the mental energy to focus on every single one of these. And so if it's something that you care about, we as a church can work together, and we need to help one another in doing justice. So I encourage you, as we talk about these things, um, if one of these is sticking out to you, go ahead and jot it down. And if it's, like, just invite people to join with you, um, invite us to partner with you. So then, um, what can we do? I think first and foremost, before we jump into this, my first encouragement is to count the cost. I think it's easy. I know for me, I overcommit to things. This is a problem of mine. I say yes to everything, and then like three weeks into saying yes to everything, I feel overwhelmed and feel like I'm about to die. Um, That's an exaggeration. It's not that bad, but, but still in doing justice, I think it's important we count the cost and really consider like, hey, this is going to cost me something if I step in to advocating for these people, if I step in and commit to doing these sorts of things. So my encouragement is not to to be in a place of inaction, but to count the costs and say, this will be weighty. This is a good thing, and God will bless us as we step into this, but to consider that. Um, And also to realize not everyone is called to the same thing. So you might be someone who has a very passionate heart for, for widows, but not everyone will have the same like, the, like deep desire and passion, and that's okay. There's a sense in which we can help and encourage one another, but just to be aware of that and not to be in a posture of judging others. For like, why don't they care about this like I do? Um, and that's okay. And also as well, relief work and short-term, like short-term help is definitely beneficial. Being able to help support things and, and relief work is good. But as we look at doing justice, a lot of these will be more long-term things. They'll be looking at the cycles of poverty, the cycles of injustice, the cycles of prejudice and inequality. And as we do justice, we should hope to address some of those issues as we can and, and focus our efforts there if we can. And that's not to ever say we don't help out with short-term or relief work. That can be powerful to help on more of those larger scales. Okay, so with that, all that sort of a setup, the preamble, we're going to be talking about in general um, doing justice as individuals as families or as group of friends or like for for the singles out there I don't need to feel excluded from this there's still a sense of like we can do this as a close group of friends um, and then finally as life groups and so sort of things we can do on those three levels and the first one is, is individuals a number of these I'll be pulling from like OC United but there's other work that's being done the first one is something called jobs for life and that's a program through OC United where and um Heather, be, be kind if I'm not getting this totally wrong. Um, but Jobs for Life is a program where you're able to, as an individual, um, to be partnered with someone who's experiencing homelessness but is also in the process of wanting to come out of that cycle, and you're helping to mentor them. You're helping them with really practical skills like job skills or resume writing. You're coming alongside of them to be a mentor, to be a coach, with the hope that at the end of this program, they in, they're in such a place to be able to get a job, to be able to then enter back into society, that they have those skills, and that's one way that you can partner with, like, with a person in that Another idea is to be an advocate, to learn about one of these groups of the vulnerable, to be someone that, hey, I really care about orphans, to be able to tell others, like, this is how you can get involved, or maybe it's homelessness, and you can be a part of helping to educate people within the church on um, why people experience homelessness, of where they're at, because it can be easy to carry on, carry, um, carry prejudices, and carry these ideas and patterns of thought that just perpetuate cycles. 
And even having like someone come and teach you of how like the reality of why people experience homelessness and where they're at being an advocate for them can be helpful in beginning to soften people's hearts towards them. So that's another way is to be an advocate for people. Another really practical way is through committed child care volunteers. Um, this is something in talking to Heather, um, her quote, she said, we had a staff meeting today and the biggest need we have is for committed child care volunteers. She works at OC United, by the way. Our trainer has even offered to host a child care training just for our church, too, if we get a number of committed volunteers. And so if that's something you're interested in or just are curious about what OC United is, Heather can help you. She was up here for OC Motherly. She would love to talk to you about that. But that would look like a way of just, hey, as a family or as an individual, like I'm going to commit to being a child, to like helping out with child care. Um, so that can be a way that you can help. Uh, maybe as a family or a close group of friends, uh, you can befriend a family from another country. It can be a great way to help them out where there's just, like, how do you do things in America? It can be really confusing. All the things we take for granted in terms of how we go through the legal system, how we even get paperwork done, that can be really difficult. And so being a family who can to help them through that. And also you have an opportunity to learn about another culture. So it helps to broaden your perspective, to learn about that life is different than around the world than what we see here. And it's a way that you can practically help them. So in doing these, like some of them just, it looks like just forming a relationship in terms of encouraging them and providing for them and helping them. So that's one idea. Um, or another thing could be jobs of life that as a family or as a close group of friends, you do that together or the committed childcare. Um, and then as life groups, one practical way could be um, helping out with like a traditional home, a transitional home, I can say that, transitional home for aged out, kids who have aged out of the foster care program. And this would be like mentoring these kids who are aging out who don't have life skills in terms of like, how do I cook? In terms of um, how do I budget? How do I do things that maybe you were taught as you were growing up that they haven't necessarily had? And so in helping people and doing justice, it can be as simple as like, hey, I have a passion for spreadsheets. I have a passion for helping people budget. I love FPU. I can help teach them. So it's like you can, doing justice, my, my point is it doesn't have to look just like pie in the sky out there with like a megaphone and it looks just this one certain way. Doing justice can take on a variety of forms. It can be something that we're passionate, like, hey, I'm passionate about this. I can help teach people that. And so doing justice is something we can all participate in doing. So, so my encouragement to you as we hear all this is to ask, those, another idea is to ask those who are a member of the quartet. So if you know someone who's, who is an immigrant, if you know someone who, who is poor or experiencing homelessness um, or is already even um, involved with foster care or just caring for orphans or widows, my encouragement is to ask them for how, like ask them how you could help. So that's another practical way is just to say, hey, how can I help you? Or what's some, one thing that would be helpful for you to have? And so be creative. There isn't kind of a one-size-fits-all. What's important is that we are people who are about doing justice because it's something our Father cares about. There are, like I said, many ways to do justice. Um, and I think in doing that, we, we can't do everything. Like I said, I'm someone who, over, who just commits way too much stuff. I can't do everything, but I think it's important that we do something. It's important that we are a part of doing something. Um, and my encouragement as well is to pick one thing and commit to it. Say, hey, we want to be um, committed child care volunteers, and we're going to commit to doing that. Or, hey, we're going to invest in this immigrant family's life and commit to doing that. And I think that can be helpful. I, like I said, I overcommit. And just lowering those things, you're, you're going to set yourself up more for success as you think about doing justice. Because it is a muscle that you need to work out. You're not going to start with, like, 
50 pounds if you've never worked out in your life. You want to start easier. You want to work at it and let it grow. And, and remember and remind yourself daily that ultimately God is the one who restores, that as we do justice, it's not my own acts of um, providing for a family, uh, for helping someone, that those are acts of doing justice, but ultimately God is the one who restores. God is a God who does justice and cares about it. And he is the one through the power of the Holy Spirit who's able to break um, cycles, who's able to bring change in someone's life. But we get to partner with them. So I think it's important, and I need this reminder as well, to remember that, that it's God doing the work. It's not me, and I need his help. Because if we want to call ourselves followers of Christ, we need to be about doing justice. Um, there isn't a cop-out for not being a part of doing justice in some way. And when we look at Jesus, we see that he was a man who did justice. In his ministry, he was a man who went to those who are on the outskirts of society, those who were deemed richly impure, those who were the outcast, those who were the immigrant within the society, and he cared for them. He loved them. He treated them with dignity and respect as people who were made in the image of God. And like I said, he offered, first and foremost, the, a sense of restoration and being able to provide the forgiveness of sins, to be able to provide salvation, to be restored to God. But he also elevated them within society. He was someone who, as he encountered tax collectors and prostitutes, um, and he would, he would come and bring them to, and give them a place at the table, that they had equal standing in his eyes with the Pharisee or with the religious leader. And his challenge often was similar to Micah, where he told the religious leaders, hey, you're tithing, you're doing all these ritualist, like all the rituals, but you're forgetting and neglecting to do what I have called you to do and doing justice. And ultimately in his life and ministry, we see the cross is where retributive justice and restorative justice ultimately meet. And it's on the cross where we are the ones who are guilty. And through the cross, God has both enacted that retributive justice towards sin and death and taking that sin and death into himself. And through it, he has ultimately restored us to God. He has taken care of that, that he has, he has enacted that. He has restored us. Jesus allowed himself to be made vulnerable so that those who are vulnerable can be drawn to himself. We have an advocate. We have a God who knows pain, who knows sorrow, and can um, relate to those who are experiencing that, to those who are vulnerable and those who are on the out outskirts of society. The Spirit empowers us to be a part of doing restorative justice, and while it can be overwhelming as we talk about, like, oh, all this work that we could do, how do we do this? The, the encouragement is the Spirit is the one who's able to guide us and lead us as we think about doing justice. And ultimately, as we partner with the Spirit, um, as we partner with the Spirit in doing this, He'll use our giftings, He'll give us discernment and wisdom to know how we can do justice in our midst. Band, you can join me back up here. The goal of justice is the restoration of things to be made as they should be, to be made new within the kingdom of heaven. The goal of justice is Jesus. The measure of justice and the reason why we do justice is also Jesus. We only seek to do justice because we are in him, not from our own standing. And the empowerment to do justice and to know right and wrong comes from the Spirit. He's the one that helps us to know what is right and what is wrong and what it means to do justice within Fullerton, within our city. Jesus has invited us to rest in him and to partner with him in making all things new through him, empowered by him, and ultimately for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a man who cares about those who are vulnerable. God, um, I just, I come against any attack of the enemy right now that speaks condemnation um, over our, our guilt over us, um, 
guilt to be um, inactive, guilt to feel like I can't do this all because the reality is we can't. But we thank you, Jesus, that you are the God who restores, that you have called us to be in you, um, that as we rest in you, as we press into who you are, you help us through the empowerment of the Spirit to become more like yourself, to be a people who care about doing justice. So I pray this morning for us that you would help us to be people who care about doing justice, that as we look ahead into what it means for us to become mercy commons, that we be a people who are about um, providing mercy, doing acts of mercy, and providing a common space where people can encounter you in a powerful way. So I pray that we be a people who are, who are like you and doing justice and caring for those who are vulnerable. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.